Our text tonight is 1 Peter 3.15. This phrase, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And I'd like to read with you from Philippians chapter 2. So if you'll open your Bibles and turn to that, this is a section where Paul reflects on Jesus and encourages us to have the same attitude that Jesus has. And then there's a beautiful poem that is recorded here that's fairly well known that celebrates uh, how Jesus descended and made himself nothing and then God exalted him to make him Lord of all. So let's begin with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to share with you the testimony of a Christian man. This is what he writes. For a number of years after I became a Christian, I messed around with spiritual things. Just messed around. I ran around with church folks. I learned the God talk. I sang the hymns. I even memorized the verses. I prayed pretty good prayers. I carried my Bible to church Sunday after Sunday. I sang in the choir and I added to my schedule a Bible class or two every now and then. But my life was my life. I did not let all that religious stuff interfere with things like my career, my home, my strong will, my pursuit of things, my determination to go my own way, or my own personal plans. I wasn't a wife beater or a criminal or an alcoholic or some awful notorious sinner. No, I was just a selfish man. I knew how to get what I wanted and nothing was going to stand in my way. Stubborn and opinionated, I rolled up my sleeves and was ready to slug it out with whoever stood in my way, including God. I was a Christian, but certainly not a disciple. You might be surprised to know who wrote those words. His name is Chuck Swindoll famous preacher, but for many years lived his life according to his own testimony. And I suspect those words describe many Christians, maybe even some of us here tonight. Because we like to make what we think is an important distinction between Jesus as Savior and between Jesus as Lord. We all celebrate Jesus as Savior. We eagerly admit that we are sinners. We're flawed. That's not hard to recognize. We ask for God's forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We sing songs that celebrate what God has done for us through Christ. 
And we readily profess, Jesus saves, and He saves me. Jesus is our Savior, but He's always not necessarily our Lord. So what does that mean that Jesus would be our Lord? That word Lord not only refers to God in the Bible, it refers to Jesus in the Bible, but it also is a word that refers to people. Lord is a term for British aristocracy. Lord so-and-so. Lord is a term that was used by slave owners back in our country years ago. The word Lord refers to someone who controls someone or something. It carries with it the notion of power and authority. So it's no surprise God is referred to as Lord all through the Old Testament. And that Jesus is referred to as Lord through the New Testament, especially after his resurrection. Peter boldly proclaims this to the crowd at Pentecost. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So on the one hand, Jesus Christ is Lord, regardless of whether or not anybody acknowledges it or knows that to be the case. On the other hand, he's Lord of those who claim him. It's one thing to say Jesus is Lord. It's another thing to say Jesus is my Lord. That's not just a cold, hard fact. That gets very personal and it impacts my life in many, many ways. And so that's why our text says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That is something all of us have to do. In our hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. But what does that look like? That's what I'd like to explore with you tonight. The Lordship of Jesus in our lives. When Jesus is our Lord, according to Scripture we should not be afraid to say so. A while back, I was talking with a friend of mine whose son had just begun working for Dick and Betsy DeVos at their home in Ada. And as he was in the garage, one of the first days at work there, he was looking over a drain in the garage and all of a sudden someone walked up behind him and said, hey, how are you this morning? And he turned and it was Dick DeVos wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And he greeted him. He not only knew the name of his newest employee, he took the time to meet him. And then a few weeks later, invited Betsy and Dick invited him along with some of his co-workers into the house to have lunch with them. And that shouldn't surprise us. These are very wealthy, influential people, but they're also common people and good people and kind and gracious to those who work for them and wanting to get to know them. And in a similar way, Jesus is not just this distant ruler who lives in some far-off castle. He lives in my heart. He lives in your heart. He's always with us. He walks with us. He talks with us and reminds us that we are His own. He's the most wealthy, influential person in the universe. But He knows you. And He wants to get to know you better. He's our Lord. And if that's the truth, then why should we be ashamed of that? 
to claim that. Maybe we haven't gotten to know him very well. Or maybe we're a little embarrassed around people who don't know Jesus as Lord, who have a lot of misconceptions about what that might be. And so we don't, that's not maybe the first thing we would share with others. But generally speaking, when Jesus is our Lord, we should not be afraid to say so. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above other names, all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That text says everybody, everybody, every living person will one day recognize Jesus is Lord. Period. Full stop. But for you and me to recognize that sooner than later is a huge blessing. Otherwise, we live without knowing that that's the case or receiving the benefits of it. Because everybody's life is better if Jesus is Lord of their life. Everybody, everybody you meet. So we shouldn't be afraid to say so. A second aspect of the Lordship of Christ, if He's Lord of our lives, we turn away from wickedness. That's basically what Scripture says in 2 Timothy 2. It says, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So you can't just say Jesus is Lord. It has to affect the way you live. Because our sinful nature is always drawn to some sort of wickedness, some sort of twisting or perversion of what God calls good and right. It could be just the idolatry of of wanting something or putting something before God. And that happens for all of us. It could be a passion or a desire that we have that draws us into sin. The evil one is very clever at disguising sin and deceiving us into wanting it more than we want God. There was a little girl who loved to play dress-up. Her favorite thing in the world to do was to play dress-up. And her favorite thing to wear was necklaces. And so, one birthday, she took the money she got from her grandparents for her birthday, and she found a pearl necklace in the store, a fake pearl necklace, and she bought it with her own money. And she treasured that necklace. She wore it everywhere. Everywhere. Even when she wasn't playing dress-up, it never left her neck. And her dad saw just how much she treasured that necklace and said to himself, I'm going to buy her a real one for her next birthday. So, that's what he decided to do. Bought her a real pearl necklace. And then on the birthday, the day came and the daughter's standing in front of him and, and he asked her, I want you to take that necklace off. And her lip began to quiver. As she undid the clasp, she wasn't at all sure where this was going. This was her most prized possession. She took it off and she had it in her hand and she clenched it in her fist so tightly she couldn't give it to her dad. Had she known 
that her dad had in his hand a real pearl necklace, she would have gladly dropped it to the floor to have what was even more valuable. She was clinging to some cheap alternative when she could have had the real thing. And that's what we do all the time. Cling to cheap alternatives to Jesus who is the real thing. Cling to things that can't really deeply satisfy us for very long and give up the one who can. That's the sinful nature in us. But when we make Jesus our Lord, we realize He is the real thing. He's the pearl of great price for which we would gladly sell everything we have just to have Him. And over time, we come to love Him more than we love any sin. Now, none of us does this perfectly, of course. But the more mature we are in the faith, the more it makes sense to do what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Let's read, read it together. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So when Jesus is Lord, we turn away from wickedness. We see through the deception of the evil one in trying to get us to cling to fake alternatives rather than Jesus Himself. Thirdly, when Jesus is our Lord, we give Him control of our lives. That's what question and answer 34 in the Catechism refers to. Let's read both the question and the answer together. Why do you call Him your Lord? Because, not with gold or silver, but with His precious blood, He has set us free from sin and from the tyranny of the devil, and has bought us, body and soul, to be His very own. We are not our own, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, we were bought at a price. We belong to Jesus. And that means He's our Master. That means He's our Lord. That means we do what He wants us to do, not what we want to do. How many of you have heard of the four spiritual laws? Anyone heard of the four spiritual laws put together by Campus Crusade for Christ today? It's known as Crew. But they put this little gospel presentation together where you can present the gospel to someone and there's four spiritual laws. And part of it is, they say, here are is two different ways to live. There is a self-directed life where self is on the throne. We are the one in charge. We call the shots, not Jesus. Jesus may be a part of our lives represented by the cross, but the F is for self and we are firmly on the throne. And you see around that circle all the stuff that happens when you live a self-directed life. Frustration, worry, fear. Life just doesn't go the way it's supposed to when I'm the one in charge. Contrast that to the Christ-directed life. Then Jesus is on the throne, and because He's on the throne, everything in my life is well organized and works the way it's supposed to. So which of those diagrams represents your life? In one, Jesus is Lord. In the other, He isn't. So we need to let Him 
be the Lord. We need to put Him on the throne. We need to make ourselves subservient to Him and what He wants. And when we do that, when we surrender like that, all of a sudden everything in life begins to work the way it's supposed to. So much more joy, so much more peace. William Booth is a good example of this. He was a man whose heart was broken for the poor and destitute of London in the late 1800s. The people he worked with were the downtrodden of society. They often didn't have any jobs. They lived in broken-down buildings, rat-infested. And what concerned him was not just the poverty that they experienced. What concerned him was also the fact that nobody was telling them that Jesus loved them and died for them. So he began a ministry, still known today as the Salvation Army. Years later, after being quite successful in ministering to the poor and downtrodden of London, this is what he said when he was asked about his success. God has had all there was of me to have. From the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ would do for them, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. He put Jesus on the throne. He gave control to the Lord, and it not only radically changed his life, but created a ministry that radically changed the lives of thousands of people. And it continues today to serve poor people. How would your life change if Jesus was on the throne all day, every day? How would my life change if that were the case? How could Jesus advance His kingdom through us if we fully surrendered like that? Maybe it would be something on the scale of the Salvation Army. Maybe it would be something smaller. Maybe something bigger. But to put Jesus there and to give Him control and follow His orders would lead to all sorts of good things. But it's not easy to do. It's something we have to do and if we fully realized the blessing it would be to do it, I suspect we would do it more willingly, like the little girl again. We seem so reluctant to cling to what we want to cling to, but if we only knew the blessing it is to surrender, the wonderful life that results, we'd say, man, that was foolish to cling so to what we cling to. The Lordship of Christ goes even further. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So when Jesus is our Lord, we give Him control even of our thoughts. According to James, sin begins in our minds. It begins with a desire. And that desire can grow and lead to actions that aren't right, that aren't good, that take us outside moral boundary lines, and that end up in destruction of one kind or another. So to make Jesus Lord, we not only obey Him in what we do, Paul says we need to obey Him even in what we think. Because that's where it starts. 
inappropriate thoughts and desires enter our minds. And we have to notice it immediately and say, no, I renounce that thought because I'm living under the Lordship of Jesus. We want to think what is true and right and good. That's not easy to do, but that's what we have to do if we want to be lifelong disciples of Jesus. And then finally, when Jesus is our Lord, we live our lives to please Him instead of ourselves. Because by ourselves, we're a bit self-centered. We do what pleases us. But the more we give control of Jesus, the more we begin to do what He wants us to do. So Ephesians 5 puts it like this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord, not what pleases me, is the implication. So the cast has recently returned from a mission trip to Guatemala, along with Linda Wesseldyke. They decided to take time and money and go to Guatemala to set up a medical clinic to help the poor people there receive attention and medical care they would never get otherwise. But they could have taken that same money, that same time, and spent it on themselves. We do it all the time. But they didn't. They did what they have discovered is a much better way to live. Surrender your life to what God wants you to do and serve in that way. And for them, it's a marvelous thing. Just ask them after church how that went. When you surrender life and live the life under the Lordship of Jesus, it's a blessing, an amazing blessing. And there are many others in our church who do this all the time. We have people who serve at Revive as volunteers, the thrift store, or who serve at Love Your Neighbor and love to do so. It gives them great joy and satisfaction to serve God by serving others, like we said this morning. And so it is with the Lordship of Jesus. Now, to some, a sermon like this is like, oh, one more thing I have to put on my to-do list. Oh, I have to surrender my life to Jesus. Oh, what a pain. This is going to take a lot of work. That's not it at all. Surrendering our lives to Jesus is the greatest way to live. It's the best way to live. It's the easiest way to live if you can get used to it. There's no better way to, to live than to live His will and not do what we want. So in a way, we're like children who are lost in a deep, dark forest on a moonless night, hopelessly lost in a dangerous place filled with wild, hungry wolves, dangerous snakes, and cliffs, that would easily take our lives. And suddenly, a kind park ranger finds us lost in this deep, dark forest. And he not only knows the park like the back of his hand, he has a powerful flashlight to light up the path, and he has a gun to ward off any predators. And now we have a choice. You can go with the kind park ranger to lead you to safety, or you can continue to live in the dark, dangerous place on your own. 
Because that's the situation we're in. We live in a dark, dangerous place. And we have a kind park ranger whose name is Jesus, who knows the way, is the way, the truth, and the life. Wants to lead us to safety. And our choice is, will we follow? Will we surrender? Or will we say, no, I think I know better and I'll live life my way. That's the choice. Let's pray. Lord, our selfish tendency is so strong. We so want to do what we want to do, and we so convince ourselves that is the way to happiness. And yet, the more we pursue that kind of life, the less satisfied we are. So, Lord, teach us the truth and help us to surrender to You. Show us Your ways. Teach us Your path. Guide us in Your truth. We want to make You the Lord of our lives. We want to do what You want us to do and think even what You want us to think. Because we know that if we do, good things are going to happen. So Lord, help us each day, each hour, each minute, if that's what it takes, to live under Your Lordship, consciously, willingly, and eagerly, to make You Lord of every moment, of every word, of every thought. We invite You in to every door, every corner, so that You have control. Live Your life in us and through us so it's no longer we who live, but You who live in us. In Your name we pray. Amen.